0: Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 148. I have the wonderful Dr. Gabrielle Lyon with me today, all the way from New York City, and she is a functional medicine physician specialized in muscle-centric medicine. So in her practice, she leverages evidence-based medicine, cutting-edge science to restore metabolism, balance hormones, and optimize body composition. So if you were with me and Dr. Carrie Jones a few weeks ago talking perimenopause, this is going to be an extremely interesting show for you. If you've all of a sudden started to notice your muscle mass is really um, flailing or you find it hard to kind of gain strength or maybe you've started to notice a tummy, or maybe you've just struggled with resistant weight loss for quite a while and you're feeling low energy and your hormones are a bit all over the shop, today is going to be a great show for you. Word of warning on the dietary recommendations for our vegan and vegetarian listeners, it is centered around upping animal protein. Uh, However, Gabriel offers some really fantastic supplementation tips for vegans and vegetarians uh, if that's where your preference is um, in terms of how you eat. Uh, So that's the great news there as well. Um, Now uh, what I really like about Gabrielle is she is so committed to excellence. You just feel it with every Instagram Live she does, every interview she does. She's a, a, a doctor who really wants to help people, so, so passionately help people feel their optimal best, look their best uh, because of the confidence that that brings, the energy that that brings, the sense of balance in your body and mind that that brings, and it really shines through in today's interview. So I hope you really enjoy uh this this chat it's not often that you have a doctor who has studied and researched for 17 years and of course continues to do so uh but just to give you a sense of the depth of uh learning she has done to come to the conclusion she has so enjoy that chat and of course before i launch into that i just want to remind you that we still have biome as our wonderful show supporter this month uh if you haven't been listening to the show the last couple of weeks Biome are an Australian online uh low tox store if you like one of the pioneers Tracy started the uh online store in 2003 and it's leading the way in zero waste palm oil free uh skincare homeware etc and what I especially love in this age where everybody's really trying hard to reduce their plastics usage they have the broadest range of DIY uh, beauty and cleaning ingredients that I've seen. So you have a plethora of things to choose from as well as bigger ticket items like water filters, uh quilt covers, all that kind of stuff as well. And you're going to save 15% off in-store with your code LOTOX19. So head over to Biome, B-I-O-M-E, and uh, your offer expires 31st of August, so you've got a bit of time to plan and uh, and save up for anything that's a little bit more expensive, but 15% gets you a really good little deal when uh, things cost a little bit more, so please jump over. All the details are also in the show notes, and it doesn't include shipping or any other thing that's already on sale. So without further ado, I'm going to hook into this chat with Dr. Gabriel Lyon. Enjoy. Hello Gabrielle, how are you? I'm well, thank you. That's good. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I think this is a topic that a lot of people are interested in and confused about at the same time. So to get some clarity from a wonderful doctor such as yourself is just going to be such a treat. Uh, I think it'd be really nice to start just in case people haven't come across your work before. In uh, you sharing just a little bit about how you felt called to become a physician and what take on or, spe- you know, how you decided to specialize uh, as a doctor?
1: Yes, well, that's a really long story.
0: <laughs> the short um, I, version.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the short version. So, my godmother is one of the OGs of functional medicine. Wow. Her name is Elizabeth Lipsky. And she wrote the book Digestive Wellness that has had multiple recopies, multiple updates, publications, yes. and versions. Yeah. I moved in with her when I was 17. So I graduated high school early and moved in with her to Kauai and I worked for Room and Board. Oh, that's one of the most beautiful
0: places in the world. The most Kauai. Beautiful
1: Oh places my gosh. Ever, yeah. Ever. And I was exposed to a lot of patients and she was doing, you know, she has her PhD. She was doing a lot of augmentative care in nutritional sciences. And at 17, I knew that that was going to be my trajectory. Wow. Very fortunate. So that began, I went and I did my undergraduate at the University of Illinois under Dr. Donald Lehman. And that was in human nutrition, vitamin, mineral metabolism. And he happens to be one of the world leading protein experts so that immediately changed my view and vision of what it meant to be healthy. Focused a lot on exercise and muscle tissue, menopausal women. Then I went to medical school and I did uh, two years of residency in psychiatry, three in family medicine. And then I did a fellowship. So I went, then I went back to do a fellowship at WashU in St. Louis. I did that in nutritional sciences, obesity, and geriatrics. Wow! So you really, you really shopped around.
0: <laughs> so well, to speak.
1: actually, yes, it would appear that way, but actually, there's very common veins that run through all of them. Okay, and that is yeah. So it it really shaped my vision of what medicine is, and it's really the concept that muscle is the largest organ in the body. It is not just this tissue for locomotion, which is what individuals always think of it as. Okay, but it is for, you know, I know that you had Dale Bredesen on the show. You know, I did a two-year fellowship in geriatrics where part of being a fellow, you run a memory clinic. And what we knew in what we saw when we imaged brains is that the wider the waistline, the higher the BMI, the lower the brain volume.
0: Wow. Direct correlation over
1: how many people? I mean, this this was two years. I mean, this is multiple patients. So mm. we know that, I mean, I couldn't even tell you the the amount of patients that we came in contact with, but one of the things that we know and there's a lot of data out there is that midlife obesity leads to later life dementia. It's type three diabetes of the brain. So really all of these things with nutrition being the foundation, muscle mass being the key of longevity, because it's the most important for body composition then glycemic control and um, lipid oxidation, all of these things, it's really the, the foundation of your house.
0: Yeah. Okay. So um, it, it's, it's n- I've never really heard other people speak about this as a, a, an organ. And I think that really is an amazing way to help us shift into seeing the importance of it because everyone protects their heart, everyone protects their kidneys. Yeah. The liver, like, you know, we're really good at knowing our organs, our skin, but right. muscle, it just doesn't, you know, you don't go see a muscle specialist. Uh, right. if, your, right. your, if your thigh hurts a bit, you know, you tend to go see all sorts of other people. So it's a really interesting reframe. Yeah.
1: And it's the concept actually is an endocrine organ. So when you are doing activity and you're doing load based activity, say resistance training, when you contract the muscle, it secretes, Anti-inflammatory proteins. Mm-hmm. These proteins go through the body and and set a cascade of reactions. So yeah. it's not just this concept of locomotion; it truly is this endocrine organ that when you challenge it, it secretes things. And you what know? is it secreting?
0: Can you dig? So it secretes something
1: called my, yeah myokines, mm-hmm. and this is a class of uh, molecules that are, come from the muscle, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a and It goes to the bone and all other tissues and it exerts an effect. Oftentimes we think of lifting weights to protect the bone, but individuals don't ever really think about, well, why is that? It's not actually just the mechanical process of moving the tissue. It's also the process that when you contract it, it does secrete things that then go as
0: messengers to the bone to stimulate its turnover. Wow, so this is so key as we get older because often we stop working out quite as vigorously and we stop doing um, muscle-based training, you know, might play like a little bit of golf or, you know, the, the kind of older people, like, um, activities. But a lot of people shut down on, on heading to the gym and, and lifting weights. So you're saying we need to actually prioritize that.
1: Yeah. And it becomes more important as you age. So when you're in your 20s, so muscle is driven by two things. It's driven by dietary protein and exercise. And when you're young, in your 20s, your body is primarily driven by these growth hormones, testosterone, insulin. There's all these these factors that drive growth. But as you age, the body, there's this natural decline in IGF-1 and testosterone, even estrogen, all these other hormones. So muscle then becomes driven by protein. So in your 20s, you can do whatever you want. You can work out however you want, and your body has much more leeway. Mm -hmm. But once you hit that turning point, if you continue to train and eat the way that you did in your 20s, the trajectory of your aging is very well mapped out and poor. Wow. So actually when you hit that change in life is when you have to not change in life like menopause, but I mean when you hit around 30 or everyone says well, in high school, I was great. You could eat whatever you want, train however you want and you still had phenomenal results. Mm. But if individuals continue to do that, once that honeymoon phase is over if you don't become adaptive to your internal milieu, then your decline, your body composition, you're, you'll gain weight, you'll lose muscle mass, you'll become sarcopenic, which is loss of muscle strength and function. And most devastating is the body composition aspect because then it affects
0: everything else. Yes. Right. It affects your brain. It affects all the other tissues in the, in the body. So tell the middle-aged and menopausal people out there that there's still hope it's never too late to start working on your muscles. Let's let's just make sure that people know that.
1: Absolutely, (laughs) but individuals need to begin now. Yeah. And, you know, then that's when protein becomes much more important and that's dietary protein because dietary protein are the building blocks for muscle tissue. Plant and animal protein are different from each other we know that as you age that you have to eat protein in discrete amounts and what that means is in meal amounts yeah. so as an individual ages you get this what's called an anabolic threshold and individuals need to have between 30 and 50 grams of protein per meal wow. which is yeah which is 4 to 6 ounces or so
0: yeah and that's not 4 to 6 ounces of food that's 4 to 6 ounces of the actual protein Protein. content within the food. Yeah. So what does that look like for say, um, I don't know, let's pick me 43 year old woman. Um, and, uh, quite tall, like 175 centimeters. Um, I think, um, slightly overweight given I'm still going through mold illness, unfortunately, and it screwed my leptin. Um, that uh, happened to me by the way. Oh, I really, did it? Oh my gosh. We can talk about that. Let's yeah, make sure we have a bit of time. Again. fifteen pounds? Well, yes, exactly. Yeah. I am 15 pounds overweight. So I'm 80, yeah. 83 kilos or something. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what that is in pounds. I'm sorry, but yeah. yeah so, you know, uh, I think it'd be really interesting to map out Certainly. what that looks like for me. What, what is it?
1: So for you, um, your ideal body weight in pounds, is we'd have to to figure out what that is and that's divided by 2.2
0: okay so i can jump with the the calculator oh you've got yours great (laughs) okay
1: so you're um 83 kilograms yep so 83 times 2.2 whoops wait that's not right So about, what is your ideal body weight? So that's about 182 pounds. You
0: said you're 15 pounds over. Yeah, so, so I, I feel great when I'm about 72 kilos, like perfect size sort of 10, 12, right. and just everything just works. Periods are like 28 days on the money, like mm-hmm. everything just works. So that's maybe like 170 pounds. Yeah, gotcha. Mm-hmm. So that
1: would equal, so what I would say is you should have that amount in protein. So wow. if you feel... 72 kilograms yeah maybe you should have um
0: that amount in protein so while you are slightly overweight do you work to the overweight weight or do you work to the ideal that's a great
1: question so that actually becomes a little more nuanced Mm. and the the a great baseline for all people to start with is their ideal body weight Interesting. Cool. And then, but then you ask, do you have more protein based on where they're at now? You can. And because the lower your caloric intake goes, the higher your protein intake should be.
0: Gotcha. That's interesting. So there's, I mean, you know, as you would know, as everybody does, there's always a fad going around or there's always a, I, I wouldn't call it a fad in terms of the fact that there are always people that tend to operate beautifully on whatever the diet is that's going around, but it's not everybody, right? It never is. And right now there are a lot of people ketoing and that tends to be high fat, low carbs. And it's almost like protein just doesn't get talked about in that diet so much. That's Um, true. So how do you feel about
1: something like that? Well, protein is the black sheep of the macronutrient family. Yeah. Okay. It's really the black sheep because it has a face. Mm-hmm. And it becomes
0: grossly emotional for people. Ah, uh, are you talking about animal products when you talk about that? Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that that really skews individuals' capacity to be able to read the science and be unbiased. So,
0: uh, you know, so I, sorry, can I just stop you there? Just so I'm really, really clear. <clears throat> so the um, the fact that protein has a face, I think that's a really interesting way to say it and i think you know we're going to talk about the difference between plant and animal-based proteins um something like keto comes along and lots of people can jump on board without having to have an animal products conversation because you got the coconuts and the avocados and then you got all the plants and you got um yeah so that's really interesting so okay keep going because i think that's um I've never ever really honed in on the fact that that is one of the things that allows that diet to thrive as, yeah. a, as an option for so many. Mm.
1: And a ketogenic diet is not a low protein diet. Mm-hmm. So individuals typically are not doing vegan keto. They're typically doing, um, you know, it's 70% fat, but it's 20% protein. Yeah. So it's not necessarily this this conceptually low, I mean, that would be considered lower protein, but, you know, you do have typically animal based products in that. And what I found is, so I trained in nutritional sciences for seven years, Yeah, just solely nutritional science. And in my training of, you know, I did extensive postgraduate work. I've seen thousands of patients. And in that time, I can tell you from my personal experience that there are some fundamental rules that when followed and implemented work phenomenal across all individuals. Wow. Right? Yeah. So we tend to overcomplicate things, one, because calories are not controlled for. And if you look at the science, I mean, optimal protein nutrition has been going around for Minimum of 30 years. I mean, there's data that shows it improves body composition that a higher protein diet improves blood glucose levels It improves hypertension all the markers all the markers of metabolic syndrome. Yeah, it shows improvement in No one argues about carbohydrates We Mm -hmm. know that too many carbohydrates are really negative for the body anything over between 30 and 40 grams per meal Mm-hmm. of course, depending on your training status, really then begins to trigger insulin. Yeah. Um, a ketogenic diet can work well for a short period of time, but I mean, I've seen thousands of women and I cannot tell you more than a handful that have done well on a ketogenic diet. They, have, they do well for a short period of
0: time. So this brings into uh, light that it, is, it can be a great healing diet. Certainly, but you're talking
1: about short-term. And, you know, with nutrition and with medicine, you really need to think about, okay, so if I execute in this way Mm -hmm. and I have this fundamental behavior for a period of time, what does the trajectory of my life look like? Yeah. So the individuals that are yo-yo dieting and they're doing high fat, uh, higher carbohydrate, more vegan, vegetarian, what is that aging going to look like? Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I mean, I can tell you, I mean, a large part of my practice is optimizing body composition, correcting poor nutrition yeah. and really coming at it from an evidence-based standpoint. Yeah. I mean, there's no argument that, you know, in our country, you know, in the U S there's the RDA, which is, you know, the recommended dietary allowance. And we know that that's the bare minimum and that's 0.8 grams per kilogram. That's the bare minimum mm. to prevent disease mm-hmm. and typically easily double that. If yeah. not more, wow. is what optimize you know. So you know, I don't know if your demographic. I don't know exactly who your demographic is, but I'm sure it's there's a large part of middle aged women that really want to regain their health. Absolutely, and I can tell you that really improving and increasing the protein, lean quality protein minimizing the fat, minimizing the carbohydrates, getting calories under control will be transformative for individuals, especially as they're going through menopause, especially if they have um, hypothyroidism or thyroid issues, all of these things, Mm. because that all affects the muscle. So thyroid is required for the muscle to activate one of the receptors, the GLUT4 receptors, to actually you know, one of the reasons individuals gain weight with, hypothyroid- with um, hypothyroidism is they can't utilize the glucose into the muscle tissue, mm-hmm. which is the primary site of glucose disposal.
0: Ah, and that's why those individuals also tire easily from yeah. a cardio and muscular um, training exercise. That is correct. Yeah. They
1: cannot move the glucose because of the receptor. The receptor requires T3. Yeah. cannot move glucose into the cell. hmm Right, So it becomes a quite a challenge, um, so can you imagine if you now had a higher carbohydrate diet, even though you're not eating very much, you still are doing yourself a massive disservice?
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. it's really clear so um in terms of protein sources then and protein requirements, we've talked about a bit, but the yeah. sources uh you know everyone is sort of at odds with uh, the the moral issue of eating animals these days. There seems to be a growing moral issue around eating animal-based products. Um, I am someone who has never told anyone they have to eat a certain way. I bring just beautiful experts on who share their information and people then create their own journeys. I'm a big believer in that. But I, I think it's really important that we understand from... Uh, from the evidence and from someone such as yourself who has trained in nutrition for so many years and who is yeah. across all the research, uh, what, is, what are the fundamental differences between the proteins in the land of plants and the proteins in the land of meats? A very important. So, just from a
1: very basic level, plants make the proteins required for plants to thrive. Mm -hmm. And animals make the proteins required for animals to thrive. And the constitution of each tissue is totally different. Mm -hmm. While they're all made of protein, there's something called amino acids, which are the building blocks. And in particular, there's essential and non-essential. When it comes to muscle tissue and it comes to human needs, they require branched chain amino acids. Branched-chain amino acids are notoriously low in plant-based proteins. Mm -hmm. You need the branched-chain amino acids to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. I'll give you an example. It's something called the leucine threshold. And I don't need to get too into the science because then we begin to lose people and and, um, becomes ineffective in communication for them. So the concept of a leucine threshold is... That there's a requirement of branched chain amino acids and in particular this leucine amino acid which is required in a bolus amount right eating a meal that is high enough in protein which is about 30 to 50 grams to trigger this process of muscle protein synthesis you care about the muscle protein synthesis because that in and of itself is what allows the tissue to build and repair so if you were to just look at plant-based proteins, if you took quinoa, so people say there's protein in quinoa, there is, there is a, it takes about four to six cups of quinoa to reach a one, three ounce chicken breast in the amino acid profile.
0: Wow. Okay. That's a lot of quinoa.
1: Yeah. And so it's because it's much more deficient in this amino acid leucine. Mm-hmm. Soy protein, wheat protein—it takes about, you know, 35 to say 45 percent more protein that you would have to consume, and you'd have to increase your calorie load to just get the correct amount of protein at one time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a lot. That's tremendous. And because you're pushing up carbs as well when you're eating six exactly six cups exactly. of quinoa, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a, yeah. a thousand calories. Yeah. Wow. No. Um, so it becomes substantial.
0: Yeah, very substantial.
1: Right. So when you look at the back of a label and it says that it has plant protein, you typically cut it around it, cut it about in half. Mm-hmm. So if you pick up a hemp protein shake and it says it has 20 grams of protein, it's safe to say the usable amount of protein in that, that the body will see and utilize is 10. Wow. So, yeah. So then you would need double to reach that threshold of 30 to 40 grams. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very um, inefficient
0: in terms of nutrition. Gotcha. And so what can we do for our vegetarian and vegan listeners who do have the moral that just can't, right? And that is completely understandable. We can't change that about people. So, how do we best look after those people when they walk through your door? What do you do? I typically give them, I recommend
1: that they take a branched chain amino acid with their lower source of protein. Yeah. And we really manage the carbohydrates. So, for example, if an individual is going to have tofu, I'll have them do one scoop of branched chain amino acids Mm -hmm. with that meal. Or if people tend to eat more pescatarian, if they have a small amount of fish, say two ounces, I'll give them a scoop of branched chains to then bring up that what the body essentially quote would see as protein by adding those branched
0: chain amino acids. Gotcha. So that's, that's great. There is a solution. Awesome. for yeah. people. And then for the, those of us who are omnivores, then we focus on ethical organic and organically fed if it's um, chicken and pork, uh, which is key because often free range is one of the labels that gets tossed around, but then you find out they're eating GMO soy. And that's not ideal. Um, yeah, uh, but you know, I would eat that over eating a whole bunch of carbohydrates. You know, you really have to
1: decide kind of where your threshold for yep. malleability is. Yeah, you know, or flexibility in yes. terms of
0: um, of what's available around, around you and
1: metabolic yeah. flexibility.
0: Yeah, gotcha. And and it really does, you know, it's like when you're travelling, it comes down to you make the the best of a bad situation of choices sometimes and and you just go, you know what, I do great most of the time. Uh, Someone freaked out that I ordered um, chicken because I've openly said that I often um, don't eat um, meat if I don't know where it comes from because I'm staunchly ethical and environmental. So uh, if I'm travelling sometimes and I can't get to a Whole Foods or, you know, and and get a a decent source of um, animal protein, from a respectable farm, then I, I tend to uh, eat vegetarian for a couple of days. And um, and they were upset with me for eating chicken, but I'm gluten-free and it was literally the only thing on the menu <laughs> that I could eat. Right. And, you know, I think we all have to be a little bit kinder to each other when we are making those difficult choices, when we're out of our natural sourcing habitat. I think it's uh, it just seems like an important time to mention the word uh, kindness. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, it's a, very, it's a very personal decision. Yeah. And when it you know comes to eating for an individual's health, that is highly personal. Mm. The one thing that you don't, is you don't want individuals to be misinformed. Yeah. And right now, individuals have access to more blogger information and more Dr. Google than ever before. A hundred percent. And, now, you know, we have this uh, bias conversation. You have kind of like the mouse with the microphone. Mm. Whoever is the loudest gets the most attention. Yeah. And there's a lot of funding that goes into big pharma and a lot of funding that goes into cereal based And there's rice. a lot of funding that goes into soy. Yeah. It's extremely yeah, so it's profitable.
0: For, yes. So it's very confusing for the consumer. Yeah, absolutely. And so when it comes to eating animal-based products, is there a difference between eating like your white meat or red meat? Red meat is notoriously very high in iron mm-hmm. and B vitamins and zinc.
1: And of course there's organ meats, which are high in vitamin A and fat soluble, soluble vitamins. The white meats tends to be less nutrition. It doesn't have as much iron, obviously. Um, but in terms of the protein profile, it's same, same. It is the same except for fish. So fish has for every five, for every, so for every one gram of gravity bearing protein, if it runs or if it flies, it has seven grams of protein per one ounce. If it's fish, if it swims and it's not gravity bearing, it has um, for every one gram of protein has five ounces. It is, sorry, it's five grams of protein for
0: every one ounce. Okay, gotcha. So it's a little less interesting. It's a little less, yeah. So that's why when you're a pescatarian, uh, you would go with the branched-chain amino acid supplementation. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Because otherwise, it's really challenging to eat that much more fish. Mm-hmm. And are you allowed to share a particular brand? I just know we're going to get questions in the show notes. Where do I get the best branched-chain amino acids? Are the they- branched-chain amino
1: acids are pretty standard across the board. Okay, gotcha. No one can be fancy. You know, you just need something that is, you know, non fancy. In my practice, I use um, pure encapsulations, Douglas mm-hmm. Labs, whatever the clean, it's just clean, basic, branched chain amino acid. It's
0: not, they don't need anything
1: super special.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, you know? great. Right. Um, And another point of confusion around protein, um, when we're told, you know, X amount of grams of protein per meal, and and you've covered what that looks like, Um, but then somewhere else we might be told to moderate our protein because excess protein gets converted to sugars, then turns into fat, or too much protein is hard on the kidneys. Can we dispel a few protein myths? Doc?
1: Absolutely, so, <laughs> and I might just
0: remind everybody that we're talking to a doctor who has trained in <laughs> nutritional science.
1: Yes, so there's um, recent meta-analysis that have come out, which is collecting a whole bunch of data from studies. Yep, and uh, especially when it comes to protein and glomerular filtration rate, which mm-hmm. is the capacity of the kidneys to work. And we know actually that it improves kidney function. So a higher protein diet actually improves the efficiency of kidneys.
0: Wow, okay, great. That's one myth busted. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> the, other, the other thing is that a long time ago, people said that there was um, protein was bad for the bones, right? Remember that one? Mm-hmm. Yep. About so, actually, what the data actually shows is that you have more calcium secretion because you have more calcium absorption. Mm-hmm. It actually improves calcium absorption. And in fact, there's data that supports, and this is very well known now, is that actually bone is made of protein. So those with higher right. protein
0: have better bone density. Interesting. Oh, I'm so telling my mom that one. Her bone oh, density is on the slightly boring. lower side. And yeah. again, I think there's something about aging. This happened to my grandma as well. Like they got as they get a bit older, they just don't really eat much protein. So... It's very common because they,
1: they it gets harder to digest. Mm. You know, you have to take HCL or betaine to, you know, because the, the stomach, you know, you lose kind of the the
0: acidity in the stomach. Okay. And just for anyone who hasn't heard of HCL, it's hydrochloric acid. Hydrochloric acid. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they could, you know, start with one tiny capsule and increase it as it, you know, as it goes. Of course, they should talk to their medical provider or whoever is treating them, but that... That actually, you know, individuals... And also, it's harder for the dentition. So, have Mm -hmm. the meat ground. Mm. As individuals age, they, you know, you should have it ground so that you can ensure... I mean, it's the most important macronutrient for them. Okay, great. Protein uh, is causing, you know, turns to sugar. Well, um, excess protein is extraordinarily hard to turn into fat because it is so inefficient for the body to utilize it because of the nitrogen groups and it generates urea it's very hard for the body to utilize. Um whenever you eat protein 60% turns into carbohydrates but it is a metabolic process. So it's not the same as eating 60 grams of corn chips protein or carbohydrates from yeah. corn chips. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just individuals not wanting to. I mean just from a logical standpoint, we know that I mean You're going to eat higher amounts of protein over carbohydrates or fat. You're much more, if you're going to overeat something, you're much more likely to have less of a negative effect if you overeat protein. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to gain weight. It increases fatty acid metabolism. Um, It's
0: very hard to overeat protein. Wow. And that is just so uh, contrary to what people would think that because of all this misinformation that's out there. So I feel like this is a wonderful moment of clarity. Yeah, Yeah. they say protein causes cancer, all that stuff. None of that has ever been proven ever. Yeah. Okay.
1: You know, if you look at the science, it's none of that is true. It's all propaganda driven.
0: Yeah. And you are literally, Gabrielle, one of the healthiest people looking people I've ever seen in my life. So I'm totally taking your advice. (laughs) Um, My my
1: patients have, their lives transform.
0: Yeah.
1: We lower inflammation we really correct their nutrition. I've had former vegans and vegetarians come into my practice. I mean, the success rate for my patients is 98%. I mean, their lives absolutely turn around. I use the best of functional medicine with the best of Western. I do use medications. I use whatever I I treat the equivalent to the severity of the illness. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think that's very important. Absolutely. You You have to meet people where they're at. Yeah. And if, if, you know, an individual tells me that they've been sick or overweight for 10 years, there's no herbal remedy that is going to improve that.
0: Right. So the, the sick and overweight for 10 years, what uh, have you got someone in mind when you were saying that? Like, wh-
1: I mean, the treatment
0: has to match the severity of the challenge that they're going through. Yeah, gotcha. they
1: have to be in line. Mm. You know, you have to really take a look at who the individual is, and it has to match up.
0: Yeah,
1: you great. know, for example, you were talking about mold. So mold is a really tricky thing, you know, and uh, you know, having experienced it myself, is I wouldn't have been able to deal with that just through doing natural things. It took colostyramine and taking thyroid, right? Taking thyroid, balancing your thyroid, doing, you know, taking hormone replacement, doing whatever I needed to do to bring my body up into balance. Cause I'd been living in mold for two years,
0: Mm. you know? Yeah, I know. And, uh, and so that's interesting that you took um, hormone balancing therapy. What did that look like for you and how long for? I took it for probably around six months
1: and it was estrogen progesterone yeah i uh, required thyroid i mean mold was was really hard on my system like you know i live in the middle of new york city
0: and i was in a water damaged building mm, same in sydney same same yeah. and uh, and it was one of those a lot of people are like but how did you how did you not see it earlier cuz we were in there for 8 years um, which is why my recovery is taking uh, a couple of years. Uh, and I, I knew that going in. It's, you know, however long you're in somewhere, it takes you a little bit longer to get out. And, um, and, uh, and it wasn't one of those houses where um, you walk into the apartment like with the TV cameras to do a mould expose because there's black mould everywhere. It wasn't like mm-hmm. that at right. all. It was, um, it turned out it was um, in the walls and because I'm such a stickler for building biology and we always have dehumidifiers on and things like that, it never came through, but it was oh permeating the contents of our house through the dust and other ways of transportation and under the carpet. And, uh, and it wasn't until I got really sick, like twitching, tremor, Uh, ectopic beads some really really scary stuff that uh, that was all finally triggered by um, an anesthesia that I had for a blocked tear duct that I had which of course was because of the mold and I didn't even need the surgery so all of these crazy things that started to line up um And, uh, and yeah, you're damn straight. I took medication, of course, (laughs) you're not going to ignore the magic of Western medicine when it's most needed for your SOS plan while you create your long game. I think that is really important that we remember that.
1: Yeah. Mm. I think that that's really wise and having, you know, because you've gone
0: through it, it allows you a capacity to help a lot more people. That's right. Which is always interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And I like that you use the word interesting because I feel like sometimes in the world of health, people almost feel like they need to be sick to then have something to share with people. And I'm a firm believer that you can lead from a place of abundant health. Totally. And and I very much uh, um, look forward to feeling freaking fantastic again. Um, And I'm nearly there. Um, Amazing. Uh, but uh, but I think uh, it's really important that when we are unwell, we recognize the gift that presents itself to be able to help a lot of people if it does come up. And, uh, and yeah. boy, has it helped a lot of people. So I feel very grateful for that. Yeah, mm. I'm sure they do too. Yeah, I know. We've had lots of hugs and lots of emotional um, moments around the book tour last year. It was just, you know, when people are just so sick and they never get to find out because it's not a recognized illness, right? For you guys either. It's still a little bit, you know, you really have to be in the world of at least functional to kind of admit that it's a disease. And it's challenging because,
1: you know, what I've found is that it usually coincides with then hormonal changes and all kinds of
0: things. And Mm -hmm. that becomes challenging to tease out. Yeah. And, you know, something just completely uh, off topic, but you'll find this really interesting. I was at a climate change training with Al Gore and his team last week. And, uh, and so since 1980, the humidity in the world, especially in coastal areas, so Manhattan, Sydney, hello, has gone up 5%. So think about that from a fungal growth perspective of mould. Um, mm. And so climate change could actually be one of the major contributors of mould illness. Uh, and I had never really thought about it that way because, you know, you see climate change as an environmental thing and you see illness as a, as a medical thing. But the, uh-huh. the worlds are coinciding um, because things like dengue fever are coming back yeah. and ticks are proliferating everywhere. And, uh, and I had never really thought about the climate and medicine having such a direct link, but they do. So it's interesting. I actually, I haven't thought about that. So mm. yeah. So we've all got to become climate change advocates. That's the, that's the bottom line there. Um, okay. So I would love to, are there any, before I move on to the, my next question, are there any other myths? Like I, I'm thinking, um, being a vegetarian makes you live longer. Um, Let's
1: talk about that. So yeah. there is, um, there's this concept that longevity, that, you know, it's that if you're a vegetarian, that you'll live longer, right? Yeah. People think about that. That's actually not true. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things that you can, you know, when individuals die, it's typically as you age is you fall and break a hip, and then mm-hmm. you get admitted to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very common one of the premier reasons why individuals die or say cancer, which is a metabolic, you know, not one cancer, but the other cancers collectively are metabolic in nature relate to obesity. Mm -hmm. So if you have a low protein diet, you become sarcopenic, which is loss of muscle mass and function. Yep. And um, that is a huge risk factor for falls, death, the inability to fight off illness. So the data is really clear. It's the emotional conversations that happen that really sway the topic. Yeah. But um, absolutely not. We know that higher protein, especially as you age, protects bones, protects muscle, protects the brain mm. because it improves body composition, and that's that's not even an opinion. So that is well documented, and in fact when people say, well, protein causes cancer. Well, actually the studies, uh, number one, if you just look at protein and you look at the risk ratio, which is the risk of doing this thing and getting this illness or or the the connection. So smoking in cancer is 12. So anything above two is considered relevant. The risk ratio of eating protein and getting cancer is 1.1. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you know, if it were true, then I think the data would support that it was true and it's not.
0: Yeah. And I often so, think when you look at the studies um, and and you dig a little bit deeper, and uh, I love Chris Cress's ability to dig through research. I think he has a real gift um, in this space. And uh, you start to see that um, it's not just protein eaters or animal meat eaters that they're including in there. Um, but they're including people who eat like hot dog burger buns <laughs> three times a day and you know, yeah. junk, uh, That's junk meat. Right. And, uh, and you know, you've got to, you've got to really open your mind to realizing that this is, uh, how data is often built and to get to the real data, it sounds like, um, uh, you know, you, you, the risk risk factor data and science is a much more accurate, um, place to be looking than big, broad epidemiological studies.
1: No, right. We know epidemiological study is junk and it's
0: poorly done and
1: recall data and, and yeah, that's not anyone who's been in the science just feels that that's not even, yeah, that's not what you guys look at. No, no. Um, so yeah, so protein and cancer, that, there's never been a correlation um, mm-hmm. when in fact the opposite is true. We know that it's very protective against so many, many things. Yeah, um, Other myths that I can think of? No, that's, those are probably
0: the big ones. Um, what about, um, do you have an opinion on soy, tofu, tempeh? Uh, is it something we can eat abundantly? Does it affect women differently to men? I think it depends that's a whole on the bunch around yeah. soy. I think
1: that the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Typically at this point, I think that we don't know exactly what enzymes are required to metabolize the, the byproducts mm-hmm. and the individuals variability for everybody. And I think that that's really where we're looking at um, benefits versus risk. So okay. the answer to that would be, I don't know, mm-hmm.
0: but I think probably somewhere in the middle. Okay. Gotcha. And um, how about let's move on then to the best ways to grow muscle. So obviously we get our protein content in check uh, and yeah. in line with our ideal weight. I really liked um, that little nugget. That's great. Uh, it, is, is, it seems like guys can do like three sit-ups and, and start mm-hmm. growing a six-pack and women yes. have to freaking so use a thousand weights. Uh, <laughs> Gosh. Any shortcuts, any tips for maximization for us? Yes. Right? Well, number one, you never want to utilize a shortcut because shortcuts mm-hmm. are never real. And oh,
1: sorry. Real. Okay. Yep. Certainly no replacement for hard work and, and truly with the concept of muscle, it's through resistance. Yeah. So it's through challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really important to get a well-designed program. Yep. Beginners will develop much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Than say a mature athlete who's been doing it or a very well trained athlete, but they should really get together with someone who can design a, an excellent program. Yep. So, you have excellent program design, optimal recovery, optimal food intake. So, you do need an, an excess and you know, a, somewhat of a surplus in protein and calories.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, you
1: can still build muscle on a lower carbohydrate diet, but you do need more building blocks yep. for muscle growth. That, that just makes logical sense.
0: And what about just before and just after the workout? There is so much information about what you should eat just prior or just post.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're training for performance and you're, you know, typically if you're going to have carbohydrates, I recommend it pre and post because you'll utilize them. Mm-hmm. And also you need protein posts. So you've created this anabolic window and really – your muscle is primed because of blood flow. It's ready to receive the nutrients. So having protein and carbohydrates right after you work out is excellent for recovery. And then pushing in, you know, really ultimately they'll say that it's the amount that you have in a 24 hour period. Mm -hmm. But if you can have it after training and we know that it's
0: given in discrete meals, that would be optimal. Okay. Gotcha. And for you personally, what would you eat after a workout then? What does it look like? Pre or post-pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. Cause you got two humans going on and yet. Right so,
1: so pre-pregnancy, I typically didn't have a lot of carbohydrates. My diet was very high in protein. And I mean, you're talking 200 grams wow. and I'm tiny about 120 grams or I'm about 125, a little less 120 yeah. pounds. Would be my baseline. So I ate quite a bit of protein over. And why I did that is because it allowed my body to make all the glucose that I needed. Yeah. So I was able to stay very lean and still perform. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's what I would eat pre and post. Actually, I didn't eat a bunch of carbohydrates before. And after, I may have some, but I typically didn't eat it. Once in a while, I'd have some berries. Yeah. But really, otherwise very high protein.
0: Mm. And uh, what does a day on the pre-pregnancy uh, plate look like for doctors? Mostly ground beef.
1: Ground beef, olive oil, maybe some greens. Yeah,
0: but largely protein and, and some fats. Mm-hmm. And veggies. How how many veggies do you eat? Not a ton. Yeah,
1: not a ton. I found that my body doesn't need it,
0: mm-hmm. and it's very small amounts. And how, when you say I found that my body doesn't need it, is that through testing or energetically? No, I just feel so much
1: better. I mean, I do do blood work like a crazy person because
0: I have access to it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, I check magnesium, potassium, zinc, all the, you know, anything I can get my hands on. And my body responds best when it's higher protein Mm. in terms of veggies, you know, might be a cup at a meal. Yeah. Not tremendous. Body doesn't really need it, you know. If you're going to the bathroom every day, and you're getting some kind of antioxidant
0: capacity, so whether it's
1: through,
0: yeah. So in terms of fiber, then let's. Uh, this is another big topic. We are always told to increase our yeah. um, fiber, and um, doing that through vegetables is favorable over grains, obviously. Yeah. Um, so what's your view then? Uh, because a lot of people find that they need to eat lots of veggies to get to the toilet every day.
1: So the recommended amount is for every, um, so it's 25 grams for every, I, you know what? I can't remember. I, I can't remember exactly what the current recommendation is, but most people shoot for 25 to 30 grams of fiber a day, if not yeah. more. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally found that really high for me, yeah. mm-hmm. the, you know, an individual have to go with how they feel. Cause certainly yeah. right. If they have small intestinal bacteria overgrowth, or if they have a parasite, these things all affect the capacity to utilize that cellulose
0: and whether they can tolerate it or not. hmm yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm off to buy some minced beef as soon as I hang up from you. I
1: mean, it's great. I would, I would encourage
0: everyone to experiment. Yeah. I would encourage everybody to experiment. Mm, very interested. Cause I'm very high, high plant. Um, and then I would say probably at the moment, medium protein, medium fat. So I'm really looking forward to, especially given I'm still in recovery mode. So for you, I would absolutely reduce the vegetables. Yeah, I would absolutely the vegetable
1: load because yeah. your body needs to rebuild. The body mm-hmm. rebuilds from uh, protein because it, it, rec- it allows for the building blocks of glutamine for the gut lining. Yeah. And also plants have uh, chemicals in them that are toxic for humans. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't want to so I would give it a shot. I would really reduce, substantially reduce your vegetables, increase your lean proteins, add in a little bit of fat, see how you feel. Yeah. Interested. I'll let you know, doc.
0: I would bet it would go up and I bet side effect would be weight loss. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Now, time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting. This is another big one uh, that uh, a lot of people jump on the bandwagon. A lot of people feel great just narrowing the window of their intake. How do you feel about it? And uh, you know, I think it's important to mention um, the adrenal health state of a person going into something like this because sometimes it can create more stress for the body, and that's not such a great thing. Is it something you tend to use in your toolkit as a doctor? I do. I absolutely utilize it. Yeah, the
1: did say some very important things. Which number one, if an individual is in a high stress state, I do yeah. not fast them. Mm. Cortisol is already high. Uh, You fast an individual and you add more stress. It's not really the best way. Yeah. If someone wants to get pregnant, that is not, you don't want to fast. Or if they have um, amenorrhea, hypothalamic amenorrhea coming from the brain, right? They have an input of stress. A lot of my female athletes, I never put them on intermittent fasting. Guys with low testosterone, I don't put on time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting. It does allow for calorie control. Mm-hmm. which is what really, I think, makes it exceptional. And there we do know that there is some aspect of circadian biology. There's clock genes in the body. And one of the big entrainments of that metabolism is not just light, but also when you eat. Mm. So there is some really good data to support time-restricted feeding, which in my clinic I use in an eight- to nine-hour window. I found that to be very effective, can be very effective for women who are perimenopausal and Mm -hmm. postmenopausal, really having issues with metabolism. Yeah. Um, It can absolutely work. Yeah. And absolutely usable. Mm,
0: Great. Good to know. And I used
1: to, in fact, do it all the time.
0: Yeah. And then obviously when pregnant, it would not be the right thing to do.
1: (laughs) No. Or if you're trying to get pregnant, it is not the right thing. No. Um, No. I'm seven and a half months pregnant now.
0: Oh, so exciting. Yeah. Home stress. Yeah, really exciting from the perspective of getting to meet them. Exciting yes. from the perspective of getting them out. Yes. <laughs> Get that, that home both, window. Both
1: equal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, both really equal. So, yeah, so the time-restricted feeding is, it can be exceptional. Okay. Again, it allows for calorie control. And also if individuals have bowel distress, it allows for a time capacity to reset.
0: Mm, Interesting. And um, speaking of the bowels uh, and high protein uh, eating, do you Mm -hmm. find there's an adjustment period people um, experience when they significantly up their protein in terms of bowel movements? And if so, is there anything that, um, that helps them through that transition that they say, if they started eating a ton of protein, all of a sudden weren't used to it, um uh like could it affect their yeah. bowel movements and so and they could they could utilize some magnesium oxide okay
1: that would be really helpful easy easy fix yeah also increasing your fluids
0: yeah great mm. and then the last question i wanted to ask you in the age of dr google as we've been talking about yeah. uh is a lot of people just hop online and grab themselves supplements and start protocols um mm. and uh and look you know, um, it's not to say, especially if you're thinking of like rural or regional people, in a way it's amazing that they have access to information and being able to um, jump on things before they can get direct help. But for most people who are obviously living in, uh, in areas where you can go see someone or in the age of being able to Skype consult, which is just okay. fantastic, where do we draw the line on what we test out for ourselves and when we need to go see a doc um do you can, i, I think, just think yeah i
1: think that's a really good um a really good point i think a well informed individual consumer of healthcare is yeah. smart yeah. but it doesn't replace being and seeing an expert ever yeah you know i mean why not create a team and yeah. see an individual who is trained in this so that you're not, I mean, this is what people do. I mean, I, I have 17 years of higher education. Mm. I did it so I could provide a service to people and help them. Yeah. Um, for their life. So I think that you really want to have a quarterback. Yeah. You know, I, I don't it. recommend anyone ordering things online. I recommend going to a healthcare practitioner site, going to a supplement site that you really recommend. Yeah. You know, um, There's a company called First Form who's just, I helped develop their foundation series Mm -hmm. of nutritional uh, protocols and supplements that they're going to be coming out with. So, I mean, there's, there's other companies that you'd, you wouldn't want to just go and order, but you know, what has been designed for individuals, I think is really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You can't replace bloods and someone who can analyze them really well. Not Um, at all. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Great. I think we just need to constantly remind ourselves if yeah. you have anything chronic and this is beyond a curiosity, um, then you really do have to see someone. And um, and yeah. we've actually got a great list of people on the website for, as a starting point, uh, you know, people you can follow who are very trustworthy. Yeah, yeah really important. Um, Gabrielle, what a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much. There's so much confusion out there and I really feel that protein has just kind of stopped being talked about Uh, and and it's uh, it can have devastating effects. So to be able to have you on the show and really put it back in the forefront of people's minds as a priority uh, dietarily is, is so wonderful. So I want to thank you for your time with us today and uh and um uh, we've got everything on the show notes as to how people can connect with your work i'm interested in checking out that new um range of supplements you've been working on that's great yeah. uh and we'll make all of that information available for people online so
1: absolutely and i would definitely encourage individuals to sign up for my newsletter they can yeah. go on my website at drgabrielline.com um I put out a weekly newsletter that puts some of the research and the cases in the clinic that I'm working on, or products that I'm trying. Oh,
0: fantastic! And
1: I, yeah, and I, I really—it's all evidence-based, so mm-hmm. I pick really good materials, so individuals don't have to search for it. Yeah. Um, and that—that that, that's really important. Yeah, so it is really important. On my Instagram I'm very active at Dr. Gabriel dr are lion. Yeah.
0: you are and very generous with what you share there so we appreciate it and uh, and I'll speak to you soon. Good luck with the baby. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com. And there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body, and mind topics, as well as kids, and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you inspire you to take community action. And there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy. Lotox Life. So so you can find it really really simply thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on stitcher or itunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show and also to let you know that you can join us on patreon dot com forward slash low life and come join the private low Tox life club in there over time more and more cool stuff is about to be added it's a place where we can continue the conversations chat about the weekly show You're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week.